Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and design all over the world. This show is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. We are a design-led innovation company, partnering with some of the world's smartest companies to help them solve complex challenges and design new futures. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. Welcome everyone to the Naked Ambition podcast. Uh, Thanks for everyone who's tuning in live over there on LinkedIn. Uh, As you know, if you tuned into the Naked Ambition podcast before, we interview the people who are making an impact in innovation, design and leadership all over the world. And I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. Super, super excited today. We have um, uh, an absolutely exceptional guest in Matt Davis, who is the CEO of the Salvo Stores, and he's joining us today. Here he is, Matt. How are you? Thank you, Fiona. Yes. Uh, hi from Box Hill in Melbourne. So commiserations to all of our viewers in Melbourne and Sydney at the moment. Yes, I like you. Um, I'm trapped in the four walls of my house, but great to be here. Thank you. Uh, shout out to Fiona and the Naked Ambition team. It's, uh, it's an awesome conversation to be having um, in an otherwise pretty hard time, yeah? Yeah, no, it's not easy as well. So hopefully we can give people a little bit of relief maybe with this combo today as well. How are you dealing uh, as a retailer? You're normally out and about chatting with people. You get to be super social in the role, but managing a bit locked up. Yeah, it's a bit of a process. We're all having to sort of compare notes on that. You know, how do do you take uh, natural extroverts and um, put them in front of a computer and expect them to stay motivated uh, at the moment? So look, plenty of time. Um, you know, sharing war stories on uh, on exercise, on what we're reading, mm. on what we're listening to, um, you know, significant people in our lives that kind of keep us going. Uh, retailers are um, a bit of a funny bunch like that. We're happiest when we're on the shop floor. So yeah. it has been a special conversation for us actually about how to keep um, everybody feeling up, up and about and well supported. Um, but I guess the great thing in that is that we're very used to having conversations with, with people um, and what that's meant is this fantastic sort of atmosphere of, of support right around the country, sending each other little love notes, you know, to, um, to stay as upbeat as we can and, and really leaning into what is, what is a pretty challenging time. I mean, as it stands, probably 50% of our stores around the country are closed at, at the moment. And that is incredibly hard, particularly on our on our frontline uh, team members. So if there are any tuned in today, um, we are thinking of you guys. Yeah. Incredibly important work. We'll get into sort of some of that as well now. I'll give um, the audience just a bit of background about you as well, Matt. You'll tell us more about your story in a second. But just for... Um, for the purposes of a more full intro, so Matt Davis is the CEO for Salvo Stores. Now, if any of you don't know what Salvo Stores are out there and maybe some of our international listeners, they operate as a fully functioning retail business, recycling pre-loved goods, relying heavily on the generosity of corporate and public donors and those frontline volunteers that you mentioned before that really keep the wheels turning. Um, Matt also serves as the chair of uh, Charitable Recycling in Australia, which is advancing the governance, innovation and impact of charities, which is important to mention because it is a bit of a backdrop um, to some of the themes we're going to be talking about today around circular economy, which is quite exciting. Um, and Matt has also, he's got a strong background uh, working in NGOs, was also previously at World Vision and has held directorships at Aldi stores. So really deep retail expertise, complementing 
um, this charitable side as well. So, Matt, tell us how you found yourself in these really interesting roles. What's the Matt Davis backstory? Oh, goodness, where, 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 do you, where do you start? I thought I'd start in high school, uh, if that's mm-hmm. okay, and I promise we won't take all of our time <laughs> up with this one but because uh, it was a while ago. Um, yeah, start, start in high school. Um, in that moment where we had to choose our subject selections uh, for the senior school, um, and I'm not sure what it was that sort of prompted me um, at the time, um, but I ticked the box for legal studies. I don't even know if that's a subject anymore. Um, I ticked the box for, for legal studies at the time because I didn't mind a good debate. And um, I found that I really loved the subject. And, you know, towards the end of high school, I got it in my head that I wanted to be a barrister. And uh, at that time in Australia, um, there were, I think, twice as many uh, people studying law as they were practising law. And we all got told we weren't, there were no jobs. <laughs> so just to, just to be aware of that. And so I studied a combined degree in both accounting and law. I grew up in Brisbane and, um, and embarked upon that journey. And, you know, like a lot of students, I had the chance to do work experience during that time. And um, I don't know, the whole picture of what the legal profession was really about changed for me. And uh, I really feel for young people at the moment, actually, who haven't been able to have that work experience time. It's just such a vital um, part of somebody's journey uh, into the workforce. So for me, that that meant that I just didn't feel like law was a good fit for me. And by, by that stage, I, I finished the accounting part of my degree and started as a tax accountant, um, would you believe? Uh, and, and had a good, a good crack at that for a couple of years. But I got tired of telling people about problems they didn't know they had. Mm. And uh, just responded to a, a blind advert uh, in the Courier-Mail um, to, to join an international retailer. And given that it meant um, having an increase in salary and basically being able to work abroad um, at the time, I thought, goodness, what, what better way to, uh, to change my direction? And so this is when I joined Aldi. And, yeah. you know, Aldi are a household name in Australia now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, about every corner of the mainland. And, um, but back then, nobody knew who they were. Uh, they hadn't even come to Australia at this point. And they had this amazing plan uh, to, to recruit young leaders from all around Australia, send them overseas mm-hmm. to train um, and then come back uh, and build the business. And that's what I had this amazing uh, opportunity to do. I trained in the US for a year and then and came back and moved around Australia and just had the most fabulous um, opportunities really to, to be trained in, in all facets of, of leadership um, and operations. And I discovered I loved retail. Um, you know, what's awesome about retail is you get to see impact happen every day by being on the shop floor, walking, working with your hands, chatting to people. Um, it really is a sense of getting uh, the job done and there's a tremendous energy around that. And I was pretty inspired at that time to, to make that a career mm. and stayed with, with Aldi for the first 10 years uh, in Australia. But there was this tug uh, within me about wanting to have a personal purpose. Um, and that purpose uh, ultimately called me out of corporate land and uh, into uh, the world of, of non-for-profit. And that was about 10 years ago now. And uh, World Vision here in Australia was um, able to give me an opportunity to, to try, my, try, try my hand. I learned a lot of things, I have to say. Um, there are similarities uh, working, obviously, for NGOs and corporates, but there's a lot of differences. And um, I'm really pleased to say that after... Uh, a few years there and learning a lot from, from people, I, I was able to understand that I kind of lived in this in-between space, you know, mm-hmm. with, a, with, a, with a corporate 
um, story and a passion for purpose um, and how might that sort of come together. And so when the opportunity came up to, to join Salvo Stores, I thought there's just no better role in Australia. Um, <laughs> and um, they gave me my first opportunity uh, as a CEO. That was, that was six years ago and it's just been an incredible ride um, working with such a passionate team of people, you know, making an impact, whether that's environmentally, socially, you know, with, with our volunteers. Uh, it truly is an extraordinary business model, I have to say, to make change and a real privilege um, to be in a leadership role in that, in that space. Mm. What a great story. And I love hearing, you know, those moments of convergence that happen as well. So the experience that you got in retail and then getting that sort of the not-for-profit experience and then finding the role that, that is able to bring both of those together. So you've been now at Salvo since 2016 and you've done um, some, some pretty transformative work and most recently around looking at the customer experience in a very different way because you know, without putting any words in your mouth, but even from a personal perspective, knowing Salvo stores, it's probably a model that you know, has been um, not predictable for, for a number of years before that. You know, we know what charity shops are, we know what to expect something that's that's almost fairly ubiquitous across the world with your expectations of this. And I think it's something that you've spoken about wanting to challenge. Can you tell us about some of that work that you have been doing and, and where you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, that's a really um, great way of sort of looking at, at the sector. I mean, uh, op shops, uh, charitable retailers, whatever you want to call us, um, have been in Australia in one form or another for about 135 years. And I think you're absolutely right in pointing out that in many ways it's been sort of like the default option for the, for the community and there hasn't been a tremendous amount of innovation in that space. And so um, when I arrived at, at Salvo stores, um, it wasn't only just beginning to happen, but I guess the trend had emerged perhaps um, in the 10 years prior where mainstream Australia, if, if you like, was mm. seeking out ways to make more sustainable choices about what they consume. And the, the sector was really sort of grappling with, it, with its identity. Um, so I'll take you back in time a bit. I mean, op shops for the Salvation Army at least emerged from um, a ministry with prisons. So as prisoners had completed their, their sentence, and this, this happened in both Sydney and in, and in Melbourne, uh, it was almost like a form of diversional therapy where these workshops were created, where repair happened and items could be salvaged. And those items were sold for a, a modest um, amount um, to be able to help those prisoners on release to be able to build skills and, and re-enter the community. And that's how op shops were born yeah. in Australia. Uh, and then it moved into a place of welfare. So when, when people really had no money to spend at all, or certainly only very, very modest means, op shops were a place that you could access those, those basic goods, goods and services. Mm. And then it went through another season, uh, which was it was almost like this hidden story where families uh, would, would shop there because they, they needed to, but they didn't really talk about it. But it was kind of understood as this really great way of, of making uh, ends ends meet, but not something that people felt comfortable talking about. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, more recent times, that's where that started to change. And it's almost now become a point of pride. Mm. You know, we've got it. Oh, that jacket's amazing. Where did you find mm. it? Oh, I found it at Binnie's or I found it at Salvers and it only cost me $20. And that's a great story, whereas yeah. you perhaps wouldn't have told that. Um, it's the hipster, almost the hipster revival yeah. of the op shop, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And, uh, of course, fast forward to, to, to today, 
the op shops themselves are having to ask, well, what role it, it do, is, is it that we play um, in the circular economy? What role is it that we play in our communities in, in having impact? Um, and we asked that question together as a team at, at Salvo Stores and really came to this understanding that we want to provide the community opportunities to have that impact. Yeah? Um, we're not a recycling organisation. We're, we're a retailer. We've, we've, we've made that choice um, clear in terms of how our, our operating model works and how our value proposition unfolds from that. And, and we really want to be that place where all members of the community, whether they be volunteers, whether they be donors, or whether they be shoppers, can come and make an impact both socially, so we're for people doing it tough, that we, that we serve as part of our mission, and environmentally. So bringing mm. those two things together and, and really trying to create a compelling experience and that clarity, I think, has really helped us to build a brand um, and to build a customer experience. We've got a long way to go, I, I have to say, and we're inspired by a lot of what we see in all different industries to try and um, to bring that to, to the market. Mm. Inspiring vision. So you've started with, as you said, getting the team together, getting the clarity around the vision. What is the impact? Where are we really playing here? And then what is that value proposition, presumably for a few different customer segments? What do, what do they want is, is what we're talking about there. How is some of that playing out? What are some of the changes, more tangible changes that you've started to put in play in store? Or is it quite early, too early for some of that yet? Well, I'm definitely happy to share some of that. I mean, like, like any good strategy process, you've got to start with data. You know, what is it that you understand about your market, about your people, um, about your model, and so on. Uh, and so one of the first questions that we asked together was, well, who is our customer? You know, you know who is it that's coming in and, and using our, our services? Who's engaging with us? And, you know, you can call it segmentation research, if, if, if you like, um, we're a bit uncomfortable with corporate language sometimes uh, in, <laughs> in charities, but there you go. Yeah. So our segments essentially fall into to five groups. So we've got our bargain hunters. So, you know, people you know, looking for that uh, Prada jacket for, you know, 95% off. Um, we've got our treasure seekers, so people who love to collect items. Um, and for them, it's about think, finding things that are unique that are perhaps not available um, in, in the regular shops, if you like. We have our philanthropists, so people who do it um, for social good, um, our sustainability shoppers, um, those that are, that are making a choice about their environmental footprint, and our necessity shoppers, of course. And what really shocked me, I have to say, uh, when, when we got the findings from this is that today in, in, our, in our stores, and keeping in mind about 210,000 people a week come through a Salvo store, mm. when we're all open, I might add. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so that, you know, that's a lot of Australians. Um, only 5% of the people that shop with us today do so out of necessity. Mm. The average uh, uh, incomes is very reflective of uh, what shop with, with other types of retailers. Over 20% of our customers are on, you know, incomes of over 100000 a year, for example. Um, and over 20% now of our customers are motivated by sustainability as their number one motivator. We're all complex people. We've got lots of motivations. But as far as our, our primary drivers are concerned, the, the second biggest segment and the fastest growing segment uh, are those customers that are, are motivated to to do something about their footprint, yeah, and, and to try and make sort of positive choices. And so that changed the picture for us, I have mm. to say, about how we present our stores, um, pricing, for example, you know, the expectations that our customers have of us mm. and 
you know, you, you ask some people, well, why don't you shop in an op shop? And they'll say, oh, well, it stinks. You know, there's, mm. a, there's, a, smell, there's a smell, you know, um, or they're dingy or, you know, they're, they're run down or they're, they're hard to find. Now, some people like that. You know, they quite like having a bit of a dig around and, and finding a, a hidden gem. Um, but in the main, we've found that Australians have really appreciated us lifting um, the, the standard of our stores. Uh, over the last five years, we've done very simple things like trying to introduce air conditioning. Nobody wants to try on clothes in a hot store in the middle of summer. Um, you know, these are things that charities typically haven't invested a lot into, you know, our lighting, our fit-outs, getting rid of the, the old carpet, which kind of harbours um, odours and, and things like that. Um, just the basic store experience. I mean, people come in, they feel like they're in a place of dignity and they feel like, feel like they're in a place where they're going to find something that is, that is of quality. And really, that's the feedback that we get uh, from our customers on the whole. They love uh, the, the, the friendly face, you know, how welcoming we are as, as a place to visit, and they appreciate the quality and the, and the value of, you know, proposition, if you like, um, when, when they engage with us. So that's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a big shift, I have to say, yeah, for the op shops. And another huge one, of course, is, is getting away from uh, bricks and mortar being our only way for people to engage and, and investing in, into online. You know, a huge percentage of our customers shop in most other retailers in Australia and mm -hmm. expect that convenience. They expect that sort of real-time response. And um, about three years ago, we made a decision to invest quite heavily into yeah. our online um, platforms and you know today you can jump on salvostores.com.au and find over 50,000 items unique items mm. um, and when you consider that the fact that Australia's biggest retailers probably don't have any any more than 100,000 SKUs on their website you know that's a pretty uh, significant footprint for us and what's great about it is that it's volunteers who've been with us for 10, 20, 30 years, you know, 70-year-old uh, grandmas and grandpas who've learned how to do all this really? really cool, amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, in our stores um, each and every day, listing these items, you know, engaging with people um, and, and ultimately making it their own story uh, about what an online experience kind of looks like in the charity space. So, you know, those things have really helped us to diversify what it is that we do to increase our appeal um, to a broader range of, of shoppers and, and ultimately have more impact. Mm. And, and that's our reason for being is, you know, to, to, meet, to meet need when, when people are doing it tough, 100% of our profits, uh, you know, go to Salvation Army programs. And so that's our rallying cry, if mm. you like it, as a team, that everything we do in this space is more resources for mission. Uh, it, it helps the Salvos to be really, wherever there's hardship and justice, we're there. You know, uh, that, that's, that's our mission and that's who we're about. Mm. Congrats on that, Matt. I mean, it sounds like a really impressive three years as well, not just what was going to be one of my questions, actually, what is that online presence now, especially at the moment, mm -hmm. no doubt seeing a lot of growth. I'd love to kind of jump into, you mentioned impact there a few times in that conversation. Let's talk a little bit about that and also the role that you see Salvo stores playing in this bigger conversation around circular economy. You know, where, where do you want to play? What has got you so interested in this, you know, in recent times? Yeah, the circular economy has just been a wonderful moment, I think, for Australia. Ever since we watched Craig Rucastle, you know, create a huge pile of clothes in Martin Place in Sydney with his megaphone when we watched the war on waste, um, that was a real wake-up call for mm -hmm. Australia, I have to say. And while, 
you know, many professionals have been active in the circular economy space. I think that was our moment, mm. yeah, as a, as a community to say, hang on a sec, uh, this is not okay and, and we want to do something about it. Um, a, a colleague uh, said to me not long ago, you know what, the charities, they're on the front line of the circular economy. You know, we, we, we've been... I guess going through uh, the good and bad of people's donations now for 135 years, you know, mm. seeing what it is that does it does or doesn't work. You know, we 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 resource recover over 30,000 tonnes of items a year just just through the, the salvos, let alone the the broader sector. And we see where the opportunities are, uh, whether that's improving design, mm. improving repair. Uh, asking Australians to be more thoughtful, perhaps, about the way that, that they donate, mm. um, now, all the way through to what, what can be done to, to recycle. And if we think about um, textiles, so clothing and textiles in, in particular, which is almost half of what it, what it is that we, uh, we handle through our stores, um, Australia really got out of the textiles game a generation ago. You know, so we lost all our spinning mills. We lost all our makers. You know, we lost a lot of our infrastructure to be able to, to deal with textiles. Meanwhile, um, Australia, I guess off the back of the fast fashion trend, has mm. been importing a significantly greater volume of clothing textiles than we actually need. Yeah. So it's, it's no surprise that um, all parts of our community, be they councils, um, uh, charities, other people that are exposed to, I guess, end-of-life goods, we've, we've really got more than, than we can handle and we don't necessarily have the, the solutions for that onshore. And so what that's meant for Salvo stores is really trying to bring about uh, forms of collaboration that will create the opportunities into the future. There, there are no quick fixes um, mm. with this one. You know, we need to rebuild those systems. We need to rebuild that infrastructure so that we're able to really be good stewards of all of those items, which which we can't which which which, which, which we can't use, um, and in a practical sense, you know that has that has me talking to people I, I never thought I would collaborate with. Mm-hmm. You know, I spend time talking to textile designers now, uh, people who are operating in sort of innovative fabrics, you know, and how to use regenerated materials. Um, you know, and I'm just, I just work in op shops, you know, and, and here we are sort of collaborating across all, all parts of the value chain. Yeah. And so while we are uh, each and every day trying to divert as many items as we can from landfill, be they electrical, you know, household, uh, homewares, you know, clothes or, or furniture, we're also trying to collaborate with others right across uh, the industry to see how we can sort of build a roadmap for Australia um, and genuinely recover as much of uh, what we consume as we possibly can. So impressive. You'll have to um, connect in with Kate Dillon, who joined us on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. She's an Australian designer of handbags, and she recently brought together 22 makers from across Melbourne to, to build, sorry, rather design and manufacture a series of jumpers, which was really impressive. It's so good. I think this kind of climate and mood at the moment as well feels like it's been a bit of a catalyst for people looking for more of these options. Do you feel like the, the circular economy movement is gaining speed even in the last 12 months? What are your observations there? Oh, there's, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, you know, so, so this is, I think, part of the, the challenge. You know, where do you start? You know, mm. how do you create the certainty um, for 
um, businesses to invest, you know, for governments to create policy, etc. And it does all boil down to how we spend our money. And, you know, as consumers, we have the opportunity to, I guess, stimulate um, changes in, in those investment and policy settings by saying, well, I'm not going to spend my money on this type of item on, anymore. I'm going to spend my money on, on an item that's going to last longer, yeah. you know, that where the fabric is more durable, it's been designed more, more thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, organisations right across the world and certainly in Australia, I would say in the next two to three years, they're starting to see shoppers voting with their, with their feet. There, mm-hmm. there is more investment certainty now than there's ever been. Um, and that's why we're starting to see, you know, brands including recycled content in, mm-hmm. in their items, you know, telling stories about their own stewardship credentials and the journey that, that, that we want to go on. Uh, and so, for example, um, Salvestor has been involved in a, in a collaboration called Moving the Needle, where mm-hmm. we're inviting all stakeholders from, from right across the, the textile space, whether they be brands, governments, charities or otherwise, to just start the conversation together, you know, talk to your customers about um, donating more thoughtfully, create options for them to bring back their items or perhaps bring them into the to the charities, you know, think more consciously about, you know, the, the brand new items that they purchase or whether they need to purchase them at all. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's the way in which we have this conversation together that we challenge ourselves um, that, that, that now is the time, I think, mm-hmm. to invest in those things and to sort of step out. And certainly from my perspective, we're seeing more and more um, companies, our brands, you know, really wanting to do more in this space. Mm. And it's good to see it sort of going both ways as well. So brands leading that conversation, which is what you're asking brands to do rather than just responding, you know, maybe as a, a PR exercise potentially because they think that this is something that maybe their customers want, you know, because, I mean, it's... It's, it's an act of bravery in a lot of ways as well because you're talking about, you know, challenging, you know, maybe some of their margin in some cases. You know, it's more expensive to, to have a more considered supply chain that thinks about that entire piece, I guess, around circular economy. What do you, what do you see as sort of the major areas or opportunities for innovation within the circular economy. So you're very across what's going on in retail. Is there anything you can sort of tell us that other trends that you're sort of seeing or other opportunities that you think people could be aware of? Um, so I'll, I'll share something very specific and then something something more general, um, yeah. if that's okay. So um, the specific uh, space that, you know, I'm certainly trying to invest my energy into at the moment uh, and encourage others to, to do the same is, is around resource recovery. Mm-hmm. So, um, if we think about the linear business model, we, we make we, we take those natural resources, we make the products, they're, they're used for a short period of time, and they're disposed of. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to do with the circular economy is, you know, re- recover those materials once they've sort of reached the end of their best use. So, you, you know, you've worn your jacket as many times as you can. Mm-hmm. You passed it on to your sister, who's worn it as many times as she can. She's taken down the op shop. I mean, eventually, it's going to run out of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to me, the the sort of the holy grail of, of resource recovery um, in Australia is being able to take those resources and remake them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so reuse will get you so far. Um, obviously, we don't want to put them in landfill or, or burn them um, or destroy their inherent value. What we want to do is get the highest and best use out of those natural resources, and that's true. 
um, for any type of product in, in the circular economy, whether it's textiles or electronic goods or, or furniture, how do you get highest and best use out of that particular um, item? And that is a tech, technology-led answer. Mm. We have to continue to develop uh, innovative solutions to how to disaggregate those products. So, again, I hope you don't mind me talking about the jacket all day. <laughs> Go for it. I think it's a relatable example. We're loving well, you've, got, you've got to get the buttons off. You've got to get the zippers off. You've got mm. to separate any polyester from cotton or wool from lycra or whatever the composition of textiles is. Um, we have to be able to disaggregate the item and we have to be able to break down the component parts so that they can be reused. And I think it's about finding solutions in Australia to, to, to have that process happen so that we're able to create new materials. Mm. And once we have high quality materials that can sort of, um, I guess, be re-input into the manufacturing cycle, then we're talking about advanced manufacturing, we're talking about onshore, um, you know, new, new industries of redeploying skills of industries that have, that have collapsed. And, you know, Geelong's doing some fantastic uh, work in, in advanced manufacturing at the moment, particularly around plastics. Um, and I think that's when we start to really come alive, when we've got ways of taking on materials yeah, from, from items that have finished their use and, and finding higher and better ways to use them. Yeah. Um, so that's certainly a space that I'm putting my energy into um, at the moment. And uh, look, if there's anyone that's interested in that journey <laughs> after today, please get in touch with me because it, it's something that um, I think we're, we're really on the cusp of. Um, the more general um, example I was going to uh, give you is that you know, when you think about the circular economy, um, it, it's not hard to understand as a concept. Mm. Yeah? The hard part is making it work. And, and at the moment in Australia, there's all kinds of breakages in, in what we could say is the ideal kind of circle. So the value is in closing those. Yeah? And the way to do that is collaboration. So I would say circular economy is a team sport mm. uh, and facilitating you know, relationships you know, getting to know more about your adjacencies. So mm -hmm. it might not be in your business model, but it might be in the next one. Well, are you talking to people who are in adjacent sectors? Are you talking to policymakers? Are you talking to research institutions to solve the wicked problems and really collaborating to shorten the distance between the components of the circular economy that haven't been solved yet? That's where we're seeing really fantastic dialogue at the moment and 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 you short circuit a gap and then bam, you've, you've got an opportunity. And I think about in Victoria at the moment, um, Sustainability Victoria just launched their circular economy um, business innovation centre. Uh, mm. And, you know, that's a resource that I guess uh, anybody can, can access to find people that they can start those conversations with and, and sort of get themselves pointed in the right direction. Um, most of the universities are active in this space and are collaborating also, so if you have those relationships out there, I think they're, they're a great place to start as well. Uh, but certainly for any leaders out there, if you're not collaborating um, and you're interested in the circular economy, you know, get to know your next door neighbours um, and find out what's possible together. Mm. Call for collaboration. What, what do you think some of these bigger organisations could be doing a lot better? You've talked about sort of where, and I know you've got some relationships with Canberra, there are some... Um, potentially some lobbying that you're doing within the government there or some influencing maybe, let's say, rather than lobbying might not be Thanks, that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, how do we influence up around there? You've talked about some of our educational institutions. We're talking about, um, you know, the more localised government sustainability, Victoria. I mean, presumably 
big corporates got a big role to play here as well. What do you think the opportunity or the call to some of those organisations could or should be to get more involved in the circular economy? Um, look, from, from my perspective, uh, I, I find that it's a, it's a journey uh, where, you know, a large organisation who may have shareholders um, to be concerned about, you know, a market position, to be concerned about perhaps their own businesses are being really disrupted um, at the moment, whether that's uh, through digital transformation or, or indeed, you know, COVID has put enormous economic pressures on a lot of Australian businesses. And so you just can't jump in boots and all. Yeah, I think there needs to be a journey. And for those that I've seen do it well, they've essentially turned what used to be corporate social responsibility into a sustainability focus. Yeah, so it, it, it ceases to be about, well, you know, how do we appear to be a good um, corporate citizen and becomes how can we look across all aspects of what it is that we do and transform ourselves over, over time into a sustainable organisation you know, that goes to energy, that goes mm. to employer value proposition when you're recruiting people and what your workforce expect of you. Mm. Um, that goes to obviously how you use natural materials and so on. Mm. And it goes to how you steward your product once you finish with it, but it's mm. still in the economy. There's, there's a lot of aspects to that. And I think when we've seen organisations build a capability around that, they're much better able to, to educate themselves mm. And, you know, today's not the day to sort of name all the wonderful, um, I guess, sustainability folk that, that I've met, but there are many out there. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure they're in high demand at the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, beyond that, I think it's about making sure boards are engaged in this conversation because ultimately, you know, without the support of, um, of the C-suite and, and the board, um, you know, our champions, if you like, in, the, in, in these sustainability teams do, do find it hard to get things done. So, um you know, I don't want to be unfair to, to those that are on the journey. It does take time. There's, there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And really the best thing uh, that you can do is, is get on the journey and, and try and find others that can, that can help you share in, in some of those, those challenges. Mm. Yeah, good answer too. I, I want to come back to your first example that you gave, which was um, the more specific example, talking about almost re rethinking circular from something that's less conceptual into ways that we as a country organise ourselves or even just focus, you know, our efforts in technology. So you would have seen that like, there's a lot of press at the moment with Scott Farquhar and, you know, other founders of Atlassian and some of the big tech companies talking about Australia becoming the next Silicon Valley. Um, so you're, you know, I think often when people think about technology, their minds or even in technology within innovation, their minds go to the digital. We don't necessarily think about, you know, manufacturing so much anymore, as you've sort of mentioned. The question here is, it's more of a comment there, but the question is, what, what would you love to see or what groups could come together to, I guess, to drive more of a focus if this is, you know, if we are going to focus more on different types of technology that would support a circular economy, what kind of needs to happen? Mm -hmm. So I mean, what's really interesting about that question is, you know, where, where does the circular economy and um, technology, um, 
you know, connect? You know, wh where is it that those two sort of ideas about Australia's future connect? And, you know, the, the really interesting space, I think, that's worth doing further work together around is blockchain technology. Mm. So um, when we talk about any consumer product, um, you know, whether that be, um, you know, the washing machine uh, that, that you've bought or indeed the fibre, yeah, within the jacket that you're wearing, Blockchain technology is developed to the point where, you know, identifiers can be attached to things at, at a macro level and a very, very micro level at, at the moment, whether that's through DNA signatures or, in, you know, embedded um, RFID devices. There are, there are lots of ways to do it. And the transforming part power of that is it gives organisations the ability to follow their impact right throughout the life cycle. Mm. Uh, and so there are a number of organisations specialising in different types of blockchain technology at the moment. And I think certainly for manufacturers and brands, you know, looking at opportunities to embed uh, that technology within their design and, and production process at the moment will give them a really great long-term opportunity to, to, to track how their products work through um, work through the system. Mm. Um, now, th that that's a that's a pretty big vision um, and, a pr and a pretty pretty big transformation. But I think if you're not thinking about blockchain and consumer products at the moment, um, you know that's a missed opportunity to to really accelerate uh, your impact sort of down down the track. Mm. That's a super exciting one. I wasn't quite expecting that as well. It's um, is anyone doing that that you know of? The sort of organisations feels like kind of a Patagonia type move. Are they the types that are looking at some of this? Uh, look, look, there are. Um, I, I have to come back to you on the on the examples. Yeah. I didn't come prepared to uh, to unpack those ones for you, and you, I'm sure people are starting to wonder why is this op, op shop guy talking about blockchain technology. Um, you, I'm sure there's other experts you can get on Very the program to, to talk to you more about that one. No, no, it's a great one. I think we'll all it's inspired us to have a bit of a dig into that, um, and it makes sense as well. I think bringing this some of these together. Um, so I think what, like, what's holding us back from seeing more of this? You know, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that are, that are standing in the way from Australia potentially being um, a leader when it comes to a fully circular economy? What are, yeah, what are some of the challenges that you think we're up against? How do we overcome them? I think the very blunt answer to that is, is facing into our um, sort of COVID normal re reality. Um, mm. So, so like, like it or not, that the impact of, of COVID on, on business and markets and, frankly, to how people are feeling, um, I think is so profound. It's going to have to require a strategic reset um, for a lot of organisations. Um, perhaps some have grown exponentially and they're going to have to build capability and reposition. Perhaps others have been so devastated um, economically that they're going to have to reassess their priorities and, and sort of what they invest into. And, you know, speaking, um, you know, frankly, from Salvo Stores' point of view, I mean, having half of our stores closed um, across the country for, for large chunks of the year, it has a direct impact on our mission. Um, and our ability to fund what it is that we do. And so we um, have to face into that and go, well, realistically, what can we afford to invest into? What, what can we do? And I think there's going to be a danger in organisations just thinking they can do everything that, the way they used to before COVID and it's all going to go back to normal. Mm. I, I think there's a call for all of us to kind of to pause, to reassess as we begin to, to emerge, um, you know, through our 
vaccination tipping point uh, that we're all talking about at the moment and, 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 and decide for ourselves, you know, what is it that we're going to try and become, you know, and, and add in terms of value um, into, the, into the new year and beyond. I think um, with that horizon in mind, uh, there, there are difficulties, fundamental difficulties for the Australian market around size and, and proximity. And so we think about the circular economy in particular, there's just fantastic examples happening in Europe at the moment that we can really take hold of. Um, and just as a really kind of random example, the, the Dutch embassy at the moment is running an RFI process for any Australian organisations that are interested in collaborating with anything that's happening in the Netherlands. So if you've seen a piece of technology, if you've seen a policy setting, if you've seen an example of something that you'd like to bring to Australia, you can literally contact the Dutch embassy and they will help link you in and support you um, in bringing that here. And in our case, um, you know, Salvation Army does have operations in, uh, in the Netherlands and there is technology that we're interested in and that's something that we are going to, to pursue. And so I think, um, you know, if we're looking at opportunities to accelerate uh, in a post-COVID world, I think we've really got to be looking, you know, where are those natural synergies in other markets who are perhaps a little further ahead that, than we are and finding ways to kind of leapfrog there as we can. I think as a, as a knowledge society, Australia uh, is in a fantastic position to have deep, deep expertise in, in advanced manufacturing in, in particular um, and certainly all the markets that will flow from the circular economy. But if we have to do it all on our own, I think we're going to we're going to find that very very difficult um, over time. So um, I'm not sure if that is is, mm. is quite the answer that, that you're looking for there, but certainly that's the path that we're going going down as we as we try to navigate our way uh, into into next year. Yeah. Now it's a great point as well. I mean, it's a lesson beyond salvo stores or even just talking about the circular economy, but just even international collaboration. You know, how can we look for opportunities? to learn from other countries and, I mean, just an innovation lesson as well. There's definitely more that we could all do, I think, in that area. So that's great inspiration. That's good advice. From your perspective, if we were sitting here in three or four years' time having this conversation about what's happened with Salvo stores, where you've taken things in those intervening years, can you paint us a little bit of a picture, Matt, of your grand vision for what you'd love to see happen with the stores, if anything was possible? Uh, if, if anything was possible. Um, look, I, I would like to think that every Australian has the confidence in engaging with the secondhand sector. You know, we, we've, we've had a really a wonderful season of, of large numbers of people um, thinking, you know what, I don't need to buy this new. Yeah, I, I can, I can uh, consider it a, a secondhand, a, a second life, you know, a rebirth, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I think there are there are so many you know fantastic offers uh, that are part of our world now as far as the secondhand economy is concerned. I'd like to think that every wardrobe in Australia, yeah, has a little section that is either for, for reuse or it's been rented or it's been shared, um, and it really is a part of our part of our lifestyle now. Um, and in and in doing that, this dividend of, that is both social and environmental, you know. So I'd love to see a situation where the whole charitable recycling sector is is thriving. Um, and that we've found in a bit of solutions to improve our environmental footprint, that we continue to do the really amazing work um, where people are, are doing it tough. I, I think that would just be a wonderful solution for, for, for I guess, our consumers. 
Um, and then certainly when, when things do reach their uh, end of their kind of useful life, I'd love to see a situation where Australia is really stewarding all of those um, landfill-related uh, products back into to new technologies that are seeing other sectors and other communities thrive. Yeah. Mm. So Salvo stores bringing manufacturing back to Australia, is that what you heard <laughs> it here first? <laughs> Like I said, two good economies for team sport. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd happily see anybody do that one. Yeah, no, good on you. So good. Tell us um, a couple of questions I'd love to just to bring us home here as well, Matt, more just about you. What what are you, what are you inspired by? You've given us, a, um, I mean, some incredible perspectives on a really broad range of topics across innovation um, and circular economy and across all of your experience in retail as well. You know, where, where do you go to get inspired books, podcasts? One of the wonderful things about working in, in retail is that you get to interact with a whole range of people on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So it's a real privilege for me um, when I get to, you know, travel to the town of Catherine in the middle of the Northern Territory where, where we have a store um, you know, and get to meet a young Indigenous person who perhaps hasn't been employed um, for a period, um, who's finally found a home with us, or I, I, I might be um, in, in Tassie, you know, talking to a volunteer that's been working with us for 30 years and who's still faithfully serving. You know, these, these are champions in our community that um, just because they want to make a difference, um, they come and be part of that. And, you know, that's been a real source of inspiration to me as a leader through my whole career, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's been on the, on the supermarket floor in my, in my early days or the time that I have um, uh, now at Salvo Stores is really engaging with our frontline people um, and seeing what it is that they come and give each and every day. Um, and, it, and it challenges me to, to do my bit so that my legacy is like theirs, uh, where when, when, when we're all said and done, we feel like we've brought our own sk- uh, skills and uh, abilities um, in making a difference for those that perhaps can't do it for themselves. So like everybody, you know, I need my outside time, I need my exercise, uh, I need my fair share of Netflix, but they're the things that inspire me um, and, keep, and keep me going, is just seeing what other people give. Beautiful. I love it, Matt. Thank you so much for so generously sharing so much of this vision and also the impact that you're doing currently. It's been a big few years and, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on here, educating us out there. And I hopefully as well, as we said at the top, everyone being locked down, I hope it's provided a bit of inspiration. I'm feeling pretty inspired myself. So cheers, Matt. Thanks, Fiona. I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. Beautiful. All right. We'll talk soon. Yeah.